We're going to look at Exodus 20, verse 12 first, and then we're going to go from there to look at different scriptures about a parent's role and about honoring father and mother. If you want to turn to Exodus 20, 12, you're certainly welcome to, but I'm going to look at other scriptures as well. We continue to have this fill-in-the-blank um, thing in your bulletin, and I'll try to emphasize the blanks for those of you that are OCD and want to get every blank, which is kind of like me, I understand that. You also can write more notes on the back. But um, the blanks, and we're actually not going to read the scriptures on the top of the fill in the blank page. You can read them at home, and they'll be on the test next week. And um, but Ephesians six four, wonderful passage, Deuteronomy six four through nine. So let me once again start by saying Happy Father's Day once again. I already said that, but let me say it again for all the fathers out there and paternal influences. A while back, I was listening to a Christian radio program called Unshackled. Have any of you heard the radio program Unshackled? I don't know if it's on around here on Moody Radio or Family Radio. You've heard it, Steve. Yeah. I used to, it used to be on. Okay. I love that program. You can also podcast. I just love it. And it's all about the, um, the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago, Illinois. And they tell people's testimonies and how, you know, whatever happened to them. A lot of times they go way back, you know, 19-teens, 1920s, 1930s. And a lot of times they go way back and eventually they stumble into or come into the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago, Illinois. And then they'll, sit there, they'll be saved there. Well, there's one particular guy. He was abused by his father. He wasn't the only one abused. Uh, his siblings were also abused by his father. And then they eventually, he comes to, he, he's down and out. He has all these, a lot of trouble, and would, which would make sense when you go through abuse. And then eventually, he comes to the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago, Illinois. And he gives his life to Christ. He surrenders his life to Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And his life begins to turn around. Jesus changes our lives, or at least, you know... He should be changing our life. He wants to change our life if we would allow him. Well, eventually this man felt like he was called to be a missionary. He now was saved, and now he felt like he was called to be a missionary. But there was one problem. His wife was not called to be a missionary. And your wife, your spouse, has to be called to be a missionary as well. And she wasn't. So he determined that he was going to be a missionary where he lived. And by the way, we all have that calling. So he was going to share the gospel with everyone in his sphere of influence, to be a contagious Christian, to create God's space in his life. He was going to start with his father. Remember, his father abused him and abused his siblings. He shared the gospel with his father. And his father was saved. His father surrendered his life to Jesus as Lord and as Savior. The point is, without Christ, we have nothing. We need Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we, as parents, must try our best to lead our children, our grandchildren, I always include grandchildren, spiritually. We must be contagious Christians with our family. And by the way, if you were taking the fill-in-the-blanks, the first note was in that first paragraph, which I didn't even follow the first paragraph just to confuse you. Um, the show shares about their life prior to Christ and after Christ. If you ever look up Unshackled, it shares about people's life prior to Christ and how they met Christ and after Christ. And by the way, that's our testimony. Our testimony is about our life before Christ, 
how we met Christ and after Christ. And we share the gospel with people. The greatest thing we can share is our relationship with Jesus. How did we become a Christian? How has Jesus shared, affected our life? Maybe some of you became Christians at a young age. Jesus didn't deliver you from certain things, but kept you from certain things. You know, that's very true, too. And by the way, as we talk about fathers, a few days ago I saw a video on Facebook. And it was a bunch of actors talking about different things. And one was Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington, many of you probably know of him. Denzel Washington talked about the influence of a father. The influence of a father. He talked about how he ran around with certain people when he was a kid and a few of them got in trouble. And he got in trouble too. And his mom would say, if you run around with those guys, they're going to get you in trouble. And eventually those guys got in trouble. And eventually, eventually those guys got in more trouble. And eventually those guys went in jail. He didn't go to jail. And he said, because he had a father. He credited the fatherly influence and how important that was. And he talked about how moral values and things like that begin in the home. And that's actually what I'm going to talk about here in just a minute. As part of Father's Day, I wish to talk about the command to care for your parents, honor your parents, but I also want to talk about one of the scriptural exhortations to parents. I want to read Exodus 20, 12 first. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother. That your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. I want to talk about honoring father and mother. What seems clear as we look at this passage is that God was obviously writing to Moses in, actually it's the Ten Commandments, God literally inscribed them on stone, you know, but it seems clear that one thing God was telling the people is you have to care for your, aunt, for your father and mother as they get older. It's not just about respecting father and mother. It's not just about obeying father and mother because we get to a certain age and we may not obey father or mother. We get to a certain age where we are out and we're living on our own and we have to make our own decisions about our family, but we still care for our father and mother as they get older. We must never neglect our parents. It is something that I'm encouraged by as I see my parents care for their parents. Actually, my dad's mom and dad died when, when they were very young. But even before that, he was fixing her house. He was fixing her car. He was doing things like that. He took care of his father. He actually even had to do CPR on his father to literally care for his father. But I've seen my, my, my mom's family care for their parents, which are still alive. And I've seen many of you in this church and past churches I serve take care of their parents as they get older. And I think one thing Moses, one thing God was telling Moses to communicate to the people is no nation can exist that does not care for their parents, that does not honor their parents, that does not respect their parents. The word honor means to treat someone with, re, with proper respect due to the person and their role. With regard to parents, this means treating them with deference, providing for them and looking after them in their old age. See Proverbs 3.9. Both Jesus and Paul underline the importance of this command. And you can see Mark 7, 1 through 13, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, 1 Timothy 5, 4. This is the only one of the Ten Commandments with a specific promise attached to it. Notice how it has a promise. That your days may be long. 
meaning not just a long life, but one that is filled with God's presence and favor. And I actually taught through Deuteronomy last year where this is repeated. And I believe it's also saying no nation can exist. No nation can continue. Israel as a nation cannot continue if they do not respect and honor their parents. I do want to make a special comment here. I know that for some people, their parents were not parents. Their parents were absent. Maybe their father was absent. And maybe God filled that role with other paternal influences, coaches, teachers, youth pastors, and, and, and other mentors and godly people. But their parents were absent. Their father was absent. Maybe their father was abusive, physically, verbally, sexually even. In those cases, sometimes I think James Dobson actually said it, the parental bond is even sometimes broken. And the application of this is a little more muddy. And those are things which I would be glad to talk to you about and explore with you if, you, if, if that's something on your mind. We are always supposed to honor our parents, but also remember parents are to provide for their children, to nurture their children, to be responsible for their children, to provide physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, most of all spiritually. And by the way, spiritually is the one thing lacking most of the time. So now I'd like to transition in order to talk about a responsibility that God has given parents, that God has given fathers. So we, you know, children have the, have the God-given responsibility, even adult children, to honor their parents, to provide for their parents, to help their parents as they get older. But also parents have a God-given responsibility, especially fathers, especially fathers, a God-given responsibility to be spiritual parents to their children. Now, being a paternal influence, I want to mention this. Many, some of you may not have children, but you are paternal influences. Think of the people God uses to influence children. We could influence children by fishing. That's just something I listed. Haven't done in a few years, but fishing is a great way to nurture and mentor children. Golfing, another opportunity. Hunting, um, riding. Um, whether horseback riding or bike riding or different things like that. Uh, scouts. What about scouts being a scoutmaster? What about coaching? Coaches are major important influences of children. How many coaches have influenced children? What about reading? And by the way, this applies to parents and other paternal roles. My uncle was a teacher, and he told parents, read with your kids 10 minutes a day. Now, he's a teacher, so he's trying to help these kids learn, and he tells them to read with their kids 10 minutes a day, and they wouldn't do it. Now, he was teaching in the inner city, which is very difficult. They wouldn't do it. He said, you could read comic books. Just read with your kids. Reading is a major influence on children. And by the way, um, it's important for our children, I'm going to say our children in this instance because mine are young, to see us reading and to see us value learning. Reading is such a privilege, such a gift. You know how many people across even our country, but especially the world, are illiterate? We have an embarrassment of riches in this country, and part of that is education. We have the opportunity to learn so much and to be educated. Somebody once said, you know, if we could go back 70 years ago and we could tell them in the future they would have all the information in the world at, the, at our fingertips, on a, on a smartphone, on an iPad, on a computer, and all they would do is watch cat videos. They would think, what? We have so much information available. If we struggle with reading, let, a ki let our kids see us um, listen to audiobooks or podcasts or watch documentaries. If we struggle with reading, listen to audiobooks with your children. You can get them free through the library. 
Reading is another great influence of children. One of George Barna's books shares, research suggests that there are three tiers of influences on our children. Three tiers. Tier one represents influences that have the greatest impact on our children, while tier three represents influences which affect our children but are less effective. Three tiers of influences on children. Tier one, the greatest in influence in tier two, uh, tier three, the least. So, what are what are, what are the greatest influence on children? Contemporary music, movies, television programming, the internet, publications, that's books, magazines, newspapers, or websites, laws, and public figures. Parents certainly parents are listed, rightfully so, as one of the greatest influences on on, on our children. But so are movies, so is music. So is television programming. So is the internet. We must beware as parents, as grandparents, of these influences. Now, technology is amoral, amoral. It's not, you know, it's not moral or not moral. It depends how you use it. There's certainly good movies and TV and internet and things. I mean, a cell phone can be used for a lot of good things and a lot of bad things. But we must beware. We do know, and I could show you quotes of personalities and Hollywood figures and sports figures and others who want to change our worldview. And I'm going to show you in just a minute that the worldview of children is established very young, and we need to lead them spiritually to raise them with a Christian worldview. So that was tier one. Tier two, that's where churches come in, faith communities. Tier two is not the greatest influence on children, but not the least. Churches, adult education, counseling, therapy experiences, extended family. Tier three is peers. So tier three is the, the least effective, the least impacting influences on children. Peers, schools, radio, mentors, colleges and universities, siblings. So my exhortation to you, fathers, especially fathers, we need to raise our children spiritually. It starts with modeling it in the home, by the way. It starts with modeling it. You know, we've had a lot of conversation the last few months about church. When should churches reopen? When can churches reopen? When can we, now, we never really closed. We went virtual. But when can we reopen? And one thing that was obvious, if you looked at you know, certain states that limited when they could reopen and, and heavily regulated them the most, one thing we've noticed is that they looked at church as a hobby. And I just want to ask you, is church a hobby in your life, or is it way, way, way more than a hobby? I believe to many Christian families, even people here every Sunday, it's just a hobby. You know, Jesus calls us into our relationship with him, and that relationship is nurtured and grows within a church community. It's not a hobby. Do your children, when, when you come here, do they see you worshiping the Lord, taking it seriously, or clowning around? And, I, and I'll say the same thing. What about grandchildren? Do they see it as that important? We're going to worship the Lord. It's a privilege to worship the Lord. What about at home? Is it, get up, we got to go to church? Or is it, or for those of you watching, you know, on computer, you know, get up, get out of bed five minutes before the church service goes online? Or is it something, let's prepare for it. You know, I, I've shared this before. Billy Graham, um, when he met his wife, Ruth Graham, uh, he was talking to her, and she said, 
she would not go, on, go out on Saturday nights. I guess he wanted to go out on a date or something Saturday night. Who would do that? And, and she, said, she said, no, Saturday nights they stay home to prepare for the worship of the Lord on Sunday morning. The Christian foundation begins at home. What do your children see? The nonverbals are as important as the verbals. The well-known prayer for a son by General Douglas MacArthur includes these, word, these words. Build me a son, O Lord, who will be strong enough to know when he is weak, brave enough to face himself when he is afraid. Lead him, I pray, not in the path of ease and comfort, but under the stress and spur of difficulties and challenges. Let him learn to stand in the storm. Let him learn compassion for those who fall. He prayed for his son. Regarding re, uh, research regarding all facets of moral and spiritual development, whether related to worldview, whether related to worldview, beliefs, or behaviors, shows that such development starts as early as age two. You hear that? Worldview development with children begins as early as age two. The process then progresses rather quickly. Social scientists have known for years that the moral foundations of children are generally determined by the time the individual reaches age nine. By the way, those are your next two blanks if you're filling in the blanks. The moral foundations of children are usually set by age nine. Research confirms a parallel outcome in the spiritual dimension. By age nine, most children have their spiritual morals in place. The implication of this finding is clear. Anyone who wishes to have significant influence on the development of a person's moral and spiritual foundations had better exert that influence while the person is still open-minded and impressionable. In other words, while the person is still young. In multiple places in the Old Testament, the Bible exhorts us to teach our children spiritual things. Genesis 18, 19. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Deuteronomy eleven nineteen. You shall teach them. These are the Lord's statutes. You shall teach them to your sons talking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up. Notice what that's saying? You don't just have your little devotion time with your kids and be done. You are talking about the Lord's ways and the Lord's statutes. It says when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you rise up, all the time, our life is about teaching our children why we are doing something the way we are because the Lord teaches us certain things. The Lord tells us to do that, to pass it on to our children. And when our children are raised without Christ, they have nothing. And if our relationship with Jesus Christ is just a hobby, it's probably pretty shallow. Psalm 78, 4. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. It is strength and his wondrous works that he has done. Tell the next generation the things of the Lord. Pass it on. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. 2 Timothy 3.15, in that from childhood, you, that's Timothy, you, Timothy, have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. This is where the country loses the battle. This is where people start falling away from the church. It starts in the home. 
It starts with the father. And when the father is absent, then it goes to the mother. It starts with the parents leading their children spiritually, modeling that Jesus is our whole life. Not just Sunday morning for an hour. And not just Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And not just Sunday morning and Sunday school and Wednesday night. But Jesus is our whole life. We're going to talk about the Lord every day. We're going to be praying without ceasing. And we're going to bring it up. Somebody cuts you off on the road. And instead of giving them the number one finger, you tell your kids, no, we turn the other cheek. No, Christians are called to bless those who curse us. No, Christians are called to love our enemies. No, Christians are called to outdo one another in showing love. We don't act like the world. And right now, across the United States, Christians are filled with as much anger as anyone else. And that's not the right response. That's not the biblical worldview. We live in a fallen world. Expect it. We live in a fallen world. The answer for the people who are mean and immoral and and hateful and even talk about being so pro-abortion, they're even willing to boil babies, as someone said. They didn't say they would, but... Either way, it was out there. The real answer is they need Jesus. We need to love them. We need to reach them with the gospel. I was reminded last week of a video of Francis Chan uh, uh, talking about witnessing to the Jehovah's Witness. I showed it to a few of you. I showed it here a few years ago. It's wonderful. They come to his garage. He's like, they said, we'd like to talk to you. He's like, great, I have some things to tell you too. And he starts talking to them, and they said, we're going to go. And he's like, can I walk with you? Because I have more to tell you. So he's walking with the Jehovah's Witness. They're going two or three blocks as he's trying to talk about the gospel with them. But that's not usually our response. That's not usually our response. We need to model the spiritual disciplines and the spiritual truths with our children. We need to rear them, raise them in the Lord. Somebody... uh, uh, who actually is part of a ministry called the Gospel Coalition. He's a used to be a pastor. He's now a, a New Testament professor. I'm trying to think of his name. I'll think of it in a minute. But he wrote an article on the Gospel Coalition that said, what families need to do right now in America is have lots of children and raise them in the Lord. Now, that got some friction, but it's interesting. Now, he has eight kids himself, so you know he's modeling it, right? Because studies show, actually, we think the church is dying across America. It's really not. There was a book that came out last year, The Myth of the Declining Church Across America. The liberal church is dying. The more evangelical, Bible-driven church is actually doing a little bit okay. Not as good as we should be, but a little bit okay. And it's because generally, when it really matters and when really teaching central biblical truths in the home, the children grow up and they do not leave the church as much. But this next generation has a hypocrite meter that is strong. And they see a little bit of hypocrisy, they're gone. And that's where we need to model repentance. If your children don't have Christ, they don't have anything, we need to raise them in the Lord. I know I belabored this point for a reason, because it's passionate to me. Because I've seen the absence of it. I've seen the absence of it. I actually see the absence of it even at Christian schools. It's like some Christian schools. It's almost like we want the school to disciple our kids. That's not the answer. 
The school comes alongside as we disciple our kids. We want the youth ministry to disciple our kids. No, the youth ministry comes alongside you to disciple your kids and hopefully to outreach and reach others with the gospel who may not have Christian parents. We want the children's ministry to disciple our kids. No, the children's ministry comes alongside you. We partner with these ministries to disciple our kids. But if you are a somewhat Christian parent and your kids see that you just are asking the church to do it and you don't care, they're probably going to leave the church when they grow up. If in the summer you kind of take a vacation from church to go camping and fishing and hunting or vacationing, your children are going to see that. It doesn't matter much to them. It doesn't matter much to my parents. It's just a hobby. It's just a hobby. Many times we place more priority in our children's physical education than their spiritual education. Spiritual education is most important. You know what? The spiritual education impacts the physical education. The spiritual education is the why we do physical education because God is the author of truth and all truth matters. Math matters because God is the creator of logic and God is the creator of reasoning. Even though I hardly know any math, I'm terrible at it. But either way, math matters because God created it. God created an order with, uh, God created a world with order. Science matters because God is the creator of everything that exists in microbiology and chemistry and physics and everything. History matters because it is his story. A biblical worldview is critical that we as Christians have a biblical worldview and we teach our children that biblical worldview. Mark Driscoll shares 11 practical ways for men to lead a family. He says, as men, we bear a greater burden before God for the well-being of our families and our church. Our wives and our children should flourish under our loving leadership. That's your next blank. Our wives and children should flourish under our loving leadership. By the grace of God, you can be who God has called you to be. Do what God has called you to do and love as God has loved you. As men, we will never in this life experience perfection. But by the grace of God, we can experience progress every day until we enter perfection in the life to come. So don't sulk, don't sin, and don't settle, but instead strive. Here are 11 practical tips for husbands to strive to lead their family well. 11 practical tips for husbands to strive to lead their family well. Number one, as the family leader, model humility, honesty, repentance, service, study, and worship. Your life preaches at least as loudly as your words. So teach and model humble godliness by the grace of God. Notice the key word, humble godliness. We mess up, we repent even to our children. And I shouldn't even have to say even. We repent when we are angry and say something the wrong way. We model that. Number two, make sure everyone in your family has a good age-appropriate Bible that they regularly read. Read the Bible yourself and with them so they are encouraged to read on their own. Number three, make sure you have some basic Bible study tools available for your family in either print or digital form and that everyone learns to use them. If you do not know where to begin, ask your pastor, that'd be me, or a godly student of scripture in your church about things like a good Bible commentary, concordance, dictionary, and atlas. Listen, if you don't have the biblical answers, say we'll study them together. Let's talk to the pastor or look into books or resources together. I'm glad to help you. I love that stuff. Show that to your children. Number four, buy good Christian books for everyone in your family to read. Include Christian biographies among those books. Number five, choose good books that you and your wife can be reading together, including books of the Bible, and discuss what you are learning. Number six, 
If there are Bible-based classes offered in your church, there are. Attend with your family. Number seven, redeem your commute by listening to good sermons and classes, many of which you can download for free. You can. Number eight, have dinner together with your family most nights and use that time to pray together. Keep a journal log, a prayer request for other people and read a portion of the Bible and talk about it together. Number nine, pray for each member of your family every day and let them know you are praying for them. Number 10, place a hand on the head of each of your children every day and pray over them. Then kiss them on the head and make sure they often get a loving hug. As dads, remember that our kids sometimes, rightfully or wrongfully, get their idea of who God is by us. And if we are mean and angry all the time, they're going to think God is mean and angry all the time and out to get them. Show our children that we love them and they are precious and they are God's gift to us. They're, I tell my daughters, they're God's daughters before they're our daughters. And we are called to raise them and nurture them spiritually as well as physically. While, uh, number 11 here. While, why, uh, while either hug, uh, snuggling or holding hands, pray with and for your wife every day. And remember to include the reasons you are thankful to God for her that day. If these things have not been common in your home, it is very likely that your family has been aching for them. And will be thankful for your loving leadership as the head of your home thankful for your loving leadership. By the way, the other thing that I see sometimes in dads is that we just have a don't care attitude, and our kids see that. We just let our wives handle everything. We might work, we might provide, we might say we need to go to church, but when it comes to things about education or whatever, we just, the, 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 the sinful word is sloth. Indifferent, indifference another word. Let's show our children that we care. If your children are raised, try to, try to still talk to them and try to work with your grandchildren for Bible studies. I've shared it before. We did a men's breakfast at my church in Alliance. We did it with two other churches. One was a black church. It was great. One of these leaders, when uh, we rotated speakers, one of the black um, pastor leaders talked about how when his grandkids were really, really young, he thought, I need to do a Bible study with them. He got donuts because kids love donuts. And every Saturday morning as they were raised up until teenage years or maybe beyond, they had Bible study with Grandpa every week. How awesome that is. How awesome. I love it. Here's a father's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, I am a father on earth. You have given me this gift and responsibility. Grant me the wisdom to carry it out. Let my fatherhood be one of encouragement and support, not of expectation and control. Let me protect my children, but not too much. Advise them, but just a little. Let me be honest about my feelings toward them, including my anger, disappointment, hurt, excitement, joy, and love. Let me be firm without dominating them. Let me be sensitive to their feelings without trying to change them. Let me be there for them when they need me and get out of their way when they don't. Let me offer them the roots of belonging and the wings of freedom. Help me, help me, Father in heaven, to be a father on earth. So praise God for fathers. Children, even adult children, have had a challenge. Honor your father and mother. Care for them as long as they live. But children have had a challenge too. I mean parents. I said that wrong. Parents have had a challenge too. To rear our children spiritually. To be spiritual leaders in the home. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Let's go to state of prayer. Usually I would say... This is a time to surrender your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
And if you have never surrendered to him, surrender to him today. But this is also a time for repentance. And I'm sure that all of us realize we mess up. We do mess up. I mess up too and have to apologize to my children and say, look, I got a little too angry there. I'm sorry and I ask for forgiveness. Don't just say you're sorry. Ask for forgiveness because that puts the ball in their court. That's what we're to do. But we also need to repent to God. And if you had the I don't care attitude, I'm indifferent about spiritual leadership in the home, I invite you to to pray and repent to God and then repent to your family. Some of you have already done this the last few years. It's okay, good. Some of you have never surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. If that's you, the Bible calls us to confess we are sinners in need of a Savior. Believe in Him as the one and only Savior. To trust in Him and commit to Him. Some of you have been believers in Him, but you're not really committed to Him. It's just a hobby. It's a thing we do for fun. Maybe because we like the moral values. Today's a day to commit to Him. To surrender to Him. You've been a believer, now commit to Him. If you need to rededicate your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, or commit to Him for the first time, say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I confess I have sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I am trusting in you as Lord and Savior. I'm committing my life to you. Please help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you shared that with, if you said that prayer, share it with somebody today. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. God wants a relationship with all of us, and it is a relationship. We live the Christian life with Jesus. We are spiritual parents to our children and grandchildren, not on our own, with Jesus. That's John 15. He's the vine, we are the branches. As always, let me say, if you have questions about God or the spiritual life, talk to me. I'd love to help you out. At this point, I'm going to turn it over to Steve and Joyce for the closing song. In prayer. Uh, we're going to conclude with, I'd rather have Jesus 